As the vast majority of you know, I love St. Martha. <laughs> and our own St. Martha. How, how are my tomatoes coming? Because <laughs> they produce. You know? Martha produces. Martha's going to get something done. Most of the, every time I read this gospel, I spend most of the homily defending St. Martha because I'm a Martha. You know, and, and you know the 80-20 rule that 20% that, uh, of the population does 80% of the work. Well, we think it's more like 90-10 because Marthas are going to get the job done. We may be crazy, we may be neurotic, but we're going to get the job done. And, and it's Martha's house. Jesus is invited into her house. She's in charge there. Uh, uh, Lazarus isn't even mentioned in Luke's gospel. He doesn't show up until John. So, so Martha really is the, the kingpin there. And, and you just got to love Martha. Uh, except that, uh, well, you know, it takes one to know one. <laughs> and and, and, and I, my hunch is, for those of you who know the Enneagram, Martha is a classical two on the Enneagram. That's the need to be needed. They, a two will, will discern your needs before you even know them yourself and then try to fulfill them. And of course, the only thing the two wants, because the two has no idea their own identity outside of doing that kind of service, outside of doing something, and the only thing they want in return is a little recognition. And when it doesn't come, uh, the shadow side of the two, you, if you know the Enneagram, there's a, a, a healthy side and then there's a, a shadow side. The shadow side of the two goes down to what's called the negative side of the eight, which is judgmental and angry and pointing. And so my, my hunch is that when she sees Jesus talking and Mary sitting at his feet, she's, she's had it. And so she goes and she says, Lord, doesn't it, doesn't it concern you? Aren't you bothered? Because it's driving me nuts. Aren't you bothered that you, you've left my sister, left me to do all the work? Tell her to help me. And you just have to love the Lord's response. He loves Martha too. Because he doesn't just say Martha. She isn't just a Martha. She's a Martha, Martha. Oh, Martha, Martha. You, you, are, you are upset over many things. You know, St. James tells us that the, uh, the double-minded person is unstable in all their way. We, it's, 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 it's called the monkey mind. And, of course, the monkey mind is over here, then it's over there. It's doing this thing, and it's got to do that thing. And, and, and that's, that's, that's us Marthas. We've got all kinds of balls juggling in the air. We're like the old guy, on the, remember the old Ed Sullivan show who would spin the plates? And then he'd go to another one, and they'd go to another one, and the first, when the first one started to fall down, he'd spin it again. Well, that's us. And never a chance to rest. Never a chance to stop. Oh, Martha, you're worried about all these things. <sighs> Only one thing counts. Uh, the... The unum necessarium, we used to say in Latin. The, the, the one necessary thing. What is it? The, it it's, it's, well, I, I want to look at it today. And, and, and as I said, I really do want to give Mary her due. Because I think Mary and Martha are twins. All of us have some Martha in us. All of us have some Mary in us. But I got a hunch. The majority of us have much more Martha than Mary. 
So I think it's really important for us to take a look at what that one thing necessary is. What is it? Let's look at it because it's necessary. We should pay attention to it. Why? What is Mary doing? What's the one thing she's doing? What's the necessary thing? She's looking into his eyes. She's absorbing his spirit. She is literally becoming one with the Lord. Martha is practicing hospitality. Mary is practicing radical hospitality. Martha is double-minded. Mary is single-minded. We've got a name for that, and, and of course, all of us who've had any kind of spiritual work know it's called the, the contemplative stance. The contemplative stance is, is really most transforming because it, it focuses not on all the external things that we think we have to get done. They're important. But it, but it focuses on the heart of the matter. You know, the best definition I've, I've ever heard of of the contemplative stance comes from the, uh, the Carmelite father, William McNamara. He said, he said, contemplation and the contemplative stance is a long, loving look at the real. I want to say that one more time because I think it's really important. It's simply a long, loving look at the real. It's not trying to change anything. It's not trying to have it change us. It's just being in communion with the real. What's the ultimate reality? The ultimate reality is the divine presence among us. And the ultimate reality is not only the divine presence among us in some kind of a esoteric spiritual form. The, the divine presence is among us in concrete reality, in, in things, in people, in creation. And so when we learn to look at that, to contemplate that, we become transformed because now we're dealing with the essence of things. And of course, the essence of things is love. Uh, Jesus is looking at Martha with love. Martha, Martha, God, let me tell you how much I love you. But there's really something more important. It's, 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 it's actually the better part. It's that time that you take just to be with. You know, my father was a true contemplative. I, I always say that I, I got all of my, my, my talent from my mother, along with her neuroses, and I got all of my sanity from my father, except he died too young. I, and, and I was 46 years old. I can remember my father's funeral saying, I'm jealous of you. You didn't live long enough to teach me to see what you see. Because he had the ability to see all the way through. I can remember we'd be sitting in the TV room and I'd be either watching TV or reading a book, usually sometimes reading a book, and I'd find my father contemplating me, looking at me, never staring. There's a radical difference between a stare and a contemplative look. A stare holds people where they are. It was the Pharisees who stared at the woman who was caught in adultery. You're going to hold her in her sin. They're not going to let her out. No, no, no. The contemplative simply wants to take in what they see. And every once in a while, I'd look up and I'd father, watch my, see my father literally gazing at me. And I go, hey, what are you looking at? And he goes, 
my creation. <laughs> Pretty good, don't you think? <laughs> and what he, he wasn't trying to change me. I wasn't trying to change him. Uh, William James, you know, the, the philosopher says, great art, great art does not try to change anything. It, 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 matter of fact, he says, when, when, you, when you see something that's, that's trying to, 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 to move you to something, to do something, he, he said all, all advertising from that perspective is, is pornographic, no matter how artistic it may be. It's great art, just it captivates you to be in stasis with it. St. John Vianney used to have a little old man who was a real contemplative in his church. And John Vianney once came to him because he would go in the morning at five in the morning and he would stay till nine at night and come back and come back and just sit there looking. And John Vianney once said to him, old man, what are you doing here? And he looked up at the crucifix and he said, I, I look at him and he looks at me. That's it. That's it. Now, now that is utterly transforming because all of a sudden we are coming to the realization is that everything is in everything. God is in everything and we are in communion with everything. We just don't see it. I was listening to Hidden Brain this morning. Uh, the poor Krista Tippett's off the air now so they've, they've replaced it. And, and they were talking about tribalism and individualism and my group against your group, and they would get kindergartners, and they put one group with red shirts and the other group with blue shirts, and all of a sudden they found themselves, even though they're exactly the same kids, angry with each other and fighting with each other because they're playing for their team, for the stupid color of their shirt. What contemplative prayer does, what the contemplative does is get rid of that, just to see the reality, just to be in the presence of that changes everything. And I've been told that, uh, that there, there's only one thing you can't do too much of, and that is to contemplate. A long, loving look at the real, at the really real. I brought a, a little yellow flower that I put in there as a visual aid for this morning. Those of you on, on that side can see it. And I, I sat down before I, I asked its permission to cut. Right? I'm a real tree hugger. But I said, let me contemplate that for a little bit. My favorite walk is the walk through the uh, Lincoln Marsh, which is right behind my house, behind the, the fairgrounds there. And I've got, I've got a, a, a tree, my own tree, and I've got a little bench there. It's named Jeffrey. Right next to Jeffrey is a dead tree. Because <laughs> I, so I got life and death right before my eyes. And of course, they say we need to contemplate our death before we really begin to live. And I really believe there's great truth in that. Otherwise, we are forever rushing around. And I look at it, and it looks at me. That's it. That's it. It sounds so simple. But I know those of you who have exercised in centering prayer, and for those of you who are at home and are not familiar with any of this, Father Thomas Keating, 
does probably as good a job as anybody in, in giving a method of centering prayer, but there's really no exact method. You don't just have to be sitting. You can do it walking. You can do it, you can do it in a thousand different ways, but it is to sit at the feet of reality, of the deepest reality. So we're going to finish today, uh, you know, because the, the saying is don't, don't just stand there, do something. Well, the great, greater saying is, don't just do something, stand there. And so that's how we're going to finish. I'm going to pray the prayer that I, again, I am sure the vast majority of you know, but we, we keep forgetting who we truly are. We keep forgetting that we are constantly in the presence of the divine. We, we keep forgetting that, that at everything we see, if we truly see it, and see it all the way through, we see the divine in it. That's not going to be happening if we're running all over the place. So we need to just sit down and maybe exemplify my father just to look. Now the prayer that we will do today, the contemplative prayer, is the one that we know the one that we've heard a thousand times. Be still and know that I am God. We'll pray it all the way through. I will say it first, then I ask that you pray it after me, and then we'll quiet ourselves to simply be in the presence of. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be still. Be.